one second. That's not seeing it. Hold on. It works and then it don't. That's more better. All right, so good morning. I just need a second. After singing, my heart goes in one place, and then my brain has to kind of change to be able to come up here. So, We are continuing this mini-series on the Holy Spirit. Already encouraged by the feedback from last week after James' message that it's too short. We haven't even started yet. Um, but we thought we would try something different because most of our series have been very long, sometimes months and years at a time. So we said, let's give them a short one and let's see how it goes. So the fact that it's already too short is, is great feedback. So we appreciate that. Last week, uh, James talked about who the Holy Spirit is, which is such an important foundation before we move forward into other studies of the Holy Spirit. We've got to know who he is. Um, and so we're going to move forward. The, the mission today is to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's obviously no way I can cover everything that the Holy Spirit does in one 30-minute message now because it's Corporate Prayer Day. Um, but we're going to kind of look at a lot of the major things. So what I'm going to focus on today, hopefully if this goes uh, according to the Spirit, is the work of the Spirit in the believer's life. That's really what we're looking at. There's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does. But what I want to look at today is the major things that the Spirit does in the believer's life. So hopefully when we're done, as we, as we move through, through this process, through this series, and by the time we're done with John in two weeks, what we're really aiming for is that we've got a, uh, a new or re, either renewed or new understanding of the Holy Spirit and appreciation of him. And he's, he's a, an integral part of the Trinity. So looking at uh, just a very quick review of what James talked about last week, one, the Holy Spirit is a full person in the Godhead Trinity. He's not some mysterious force and wind and God's over here and he's kind of over here doing things. He's actually a part of the triune God with all the power and authority that exists in the triune God. He is a part of that. He has a role in it like the Son has a role, the Father has a role, but he is, needs to be understood as fully God. He is a fully God. So all the power, all the qualities, and all the character of the Godhead do exist in the Holy Spirit. He's not a, a, a different thing working on behalf of God. He is a part of God with a role. And so as we look now at what he does in our lives, knowing who he is, um, and that's a very short summation, um, I do encourage you if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week to make sure you listen to James' message uh, online because it was excellent and a, and a good foundation for where we're going. And I also want to I'll begin with, with a reiteration of what James said. I'm glad he said it because I was thinking about you know, having it today. So I'm just going to repeat it because I think if, if he thought it and I thought it, then maybe God really wants you to hear it. There's a challenge for us um, in that we are reserved when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And that's why we wanted to look at this. We, we fear um, getting really too into the Holy Spirit because people have taken it too far and they've abused it. And we tend to go, well, I don't even want to touch that now because other people have abused it and turned it into this charismatic thing of, of you know, tongues and, and all these other kind of things that we don't agree with. And so we just kind of go, well, we're just not going to touch that. And you know what we're doing? We're denying ourselves part of our relationship with God when we do that. So we want to do this series so that we fully develop in our growth in Christ all that God has for us, and that includes the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to shortchange ourselves what God wants to give us. So that's part of what I want to look at today. So the first thing that I'm going to look at is the Holy Spirit itself is a gift. A couple of verses to look at. By the way, I'm going to warn you now, this is a Bible verse-heavy message. 
This is going to, I'm going to let the Word of God speak about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at it almost like a study more than a message because that's really what we want to, this is where all our knowledge comes from is the Word of God. So we're going to focus on Scripture um, today in, in looking at the Holy Spirit. So a few verses now on, on the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, which is actually, we're going to look at this later, um, where Christ is talking about how to pray. Um, he talks then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Acts, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, the circumcised being the Jewish believers, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So before I even get into what he's doing in our lives, what he's trying to do, what he's here to do, I want us to appreciate the fact that this is a gift from God. God has sent the Holy Spirit as a gift. And whenever we look at a gift from God, we never want to take it for granted. It is something to be appreciated and cherished. We don't take the word gift lightly. The greatest gift, obviously, is the Son. So if God's going to give something as a gift, it's got to be special. It's got to be precious. It's valuable to God. God doesn't give gifts like, well, here, I hope you like this, and if you can't use it, just re-gift it and give it to somebody else. You know, it's cool. You know, I understand. Maybe it doesn't fit. Whatever. Here's the receipt. When God gives a gift, it's something that he knows we need. It's something we need, and he's giving it for our benefit, for our benefit. Kind of like the Porsche I didn't get for my 50th birthday two years ago. But no, it's a whole different. I'm not bitter. But, but when God gives a gift, it's different than the way we, we have to look at a gift from God differently than we also think. Because, you know, we can get a gift from other people and cherish it and appreciate it, but it's still not the same as when it comes from God. Because God has a purpose when he gives a gift. It's precious. Now, in this gift is the power of God. Going back to the birth of Christ, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The actual birth of Christ comes in the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And again in Acts, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this gift that God has given us is the power of God. I don't want you to, you know, it's a dangerous thing to say because people, that's how people start taking it the wrong way. I have the power of God, and so things start getting nutty. But it is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune God with all the power and authority of God. And that's what God has given us. And we can see miracle after miracle and works after works. And that's what power means. It's miraculous power. It's not just strength and making you stronger. It is the miraculous power of God that God has given and he uses. And that is what he wants us to have. So power comes upon the believer when the Holy Spirit is given. And it seals the believer in Christ. This is an important thing to recognize of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul writes, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So salvation comes through hearing the word of God in faith, right? The gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This word sealed is a mark. It's like a stamp. It's like a signet. It's something that when it's handed over, the person who receives it goes, I know where this came from. Right? 
Think of like, you know, all those uh, like Three Musketeers movies, right? Something is done or then it's rolled up and then it's got the, the, the wax stamp from the king with the king's seal in it. And that's handed off. They can be handed to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And they look at it and they go, this has got the king's authority on it. That's what the seal of the Holy Spirit is. It's, it doesn't mean we're hermetically sealed in, in tape that can't leak. It means we have a mark on us. We have a mark on us that when God looks at us, he goes, they're mine because my Holy Spirit is upon them. That's the gift of God that he's given us, the seal of the Holy Spirit, and it does not get lost. It cannot be taken away. Because time is short, I'm actually going to kind of book through some of these because this is where we want to get. Now, the Holy Spirit is a needed helper. Let's turn to Romans 8, please. Romans 8, beginning in verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When God gives a gift, it's a special gift with a special purpose. And this is one of the most important ones. We need constant intercessory godly prayer on our behalf all the time. And in the context of which this is given, he's talking about keeping your hope keeping your hope in difficult times. We need that kind of prayer all the time. Now think about who it is that's praying for us. We're talking about the part of the triune God existing within us and now praying on our behalf, interceding. Because you know what? We don't know how to pray. We get lost. We get confused. We get distracted. We lose what the big picture is. The little things overburden us, things that don't matter. Things are going to burn up. Things are going to go away. Things are not going to last. Things don't affect the kingdom. Things don't affect our position in the kingdom. All these things burden us down because we're human. And God knows that. And so in his love for us, in the depth of his love, he sent this Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to keep interceding on us with groanings too deep for words. That's how passionate God is about this need in our lives. Think about that. It is the Spirit of God, part of the triune God, who's doing this for us. It is a passionate, with groanings too deep for words. Can you imagine what the Spirit groaning on our behalf must sound like? I I can't put it into words. I would love to be able to try and illustrate it, you know? It's kind of like thinking, God, they need this so badly, right? Right? God, please don't give up on them. God, they need hope. Lord, they're losing their hope. They're getting discouraged. They're breaking down. Lord, the things of this world are wearing them down. But you have secured them. This whole chapter, this section, ends with these thoughts. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, 
How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Discouragement breaks that hope. Heartache breaks that hope. We forget these core things, that we cannot be lost. We cannot change our relationship with God. And so the Holy Spirit, one of the things he's praying for constantly, fervently, without ceasing, is that we don't lose this hope, this realization that nothing can separate us from the love of God because the discouragement of life will take our minds off that. If we keep our minds and our hearts fixed on that thought, there's nothing that can discourage us. What can man do to me? I am no longer condemned. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. I am secured in Christ Jesus. But you know what? We get discouraged and we break down. And the Holy Spirit is praying for us constantly, constantly. Know that. Appreciate that from God. Realize that God does not want you to lose hope. He has given so much to redeem us that it must break his heart when we take our eyes off Christ and lose focus, when we forget whose we are, when the things of life bring us down. Illness, job loss, difficulties, car breaking down, so many things take our mind and our our focus off Jesus Christ. And here is the Holy Spirit constantly praying on our behalf, God, don't let them give up. God, do not let them break down. You have redeemed them. They are yours. I'm here. I'm interceding on their behalf. Man, what a gift. What a gift. What a realization of how much God wants us to walk with him in hope and not to be those who are discouraged and broken down. Because nothing can change our position with God. Nothing can change our position in Christ. But we break down because we're human and he knows that. And he wants us to walk upright securely with him at all times. Turn with me to Luke 11, please. I told you we'd get back to this verse. John 11, we'll actually start in verse 2. We know this very well, but this actually kind of puts into context where we end up in 13. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our, give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? Go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. 
And I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Real quick context. From what I can see, though it's translated, give the Holy Spirit, the actual Greek is give Holy Spirit. Give the power of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is translating. We don't pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us immediately, persistently, and he doesn't leave. Our relationship fluctuates, but the Holy Spirit is not something that we ask God to receive. That's where charismatic and other things have gotten confused with what the actual work of the Holy Spirit is. What Christ is saying here, look at the Holy Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation. What we're asking for is the power of the Holy Spirit to make this happen in our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying God gives. You want that? Do you really, really want that? Because all you've got to do is ask, and God will give it. John Bellet, who I had never heard of until I studied this, um, was actually an early Plymouth Brethren founder and a contemporary of John Darby, said, It is significant that the gift he selects as the one we most need and the one he most desires to give is the Holy Spirit. In the context that Jesus lays this out, as a son asks for bread, would a father give him a stone? If a son asks for a fish, would a father give him a serpent? No. So as we pray to God and ask for the power that we need to walk in a Christ-like way, to grow in Christ, to overcome the challenges and the discouragements and the hopelessness, he gives it freely. So great is the Father's love. The Holy Spirit is also a teacher. John 14, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual The teacher has a primary role in expectation. That is to impart knowledge. The first criteria for a good teacher is to actually be an expert on what he's teaching. He also must possess the ability to communicate in a way to each student individually so that student can understand it. A good teacher doesn't say, this is what it is, take it or leave it, either you get it or you don't. A good teacher cares so much about the one that is teaching because that's their passion that they find a way to get through so that they can learn and understand. Not all students are the same. Oops. So God gives the Holy Spirit as a teacher because we don't know anything without him. If we study God's word in the flesh, we are not going to get it right. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to press on this point as we go through these things of the Holy Spirit. The passion and determination and priority it is of God 
for these things in our lives. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know all things about him. I know I say this all the time, and I'm never going to stop saying it, because I think it is so important for us to understand there is nothing about God, about himself, that he does not want everyone to know. There is nothing reserved for special people, and they're the only ones who get to know it. And you know, if you're lucky, you know, maybe you can understand somebody if they'll teach it to you. Whatever I know, God wants you to know just as much, if not more. Everything about God is now open and transparent. He wants all those who have trusted in him and obey him and follow him and desire him, he wants us all to know all things about him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And brethren, when I came to you, did not come with, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man who is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The mysteries that were hidden, which God ordained before the ages, before the ages, it says. Mysteries hidden before the ages have now been revealed. And there's only one way to know them. It is through the indwelling Spirit who knows them because he is part of the triune God. So when we think about the gift of the Holy Spirit, what God has given, and he is the one who can teach these things because he has the mind of God. The only one who can teach us the mind of God is God himself. God wants us to know all these things. There's nothing that he doesn't want you to have. It says here he gives freely. He gives freely. Verse 12. We might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He wants you to know what you have. He wants you to know your inheritance. He wants you to know your position. He wants us to know what Christ is and done for us. He wants us to know the sacrifice that it cost. He wants us to know that this was all ordained before the beginning of time. He wants all these things revealed to us. Church is not a spectator sport. Everything that God has for us to know is available to everyone to know. And we should desire to know it because God has made it an effort and a priority to give us the Holy Spirit to teach us these things. Why would we not desire them? Why would we not study his word and say, God, show me more, show me more, show me more. I'm not going to rely on that guy. 
Listen, there are gifts, and there are gifts of teaching, and there are gifts of other things in administration and helps and all those things, and we have those things. But understanding and knowing who God is and what he has done and all the things that pertain to God are no longer a hidden mystery to anyone who will step forth in faith to God in Jesus Christ. He's given us the Spirit so that we may know these things. Going back to the teacher-student relationship, the student has responsibility to desire to learn. The student has a responsibility. You can't force someone to learn. The teachers here that are among us will tell you, no matter what you do, the student doesn't want to learn. There's only so much you can do. All you can do is keep trying to break through, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He keeps trying to break through, saying, God wants you to know this. God wants you to know this. It's here for you. It's free for you. He's freely given it to you. You need to know this. Everything about God is no longer a mystery. Cherish this gift. Cherish it. Leverage it. It's given to you for a reason. It's given to me for a reason, for a purpose, that we know God. He wants us to know him, and he's given this to teach us. Another work of the Holy Spirit is he reveals the heart of God. As we just read in 1 Corinthians 2, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Searches means, doesn't mean the Spirit didn't know when he dug and finally went, aha, check this out. It means he's digging up and exposing things. He's bringing things up. The deep things of God, he is constantly bringing them up. What are these things? It is the heart of God. All things point to the heart of God. In John 16, again, speaking of the Spirit, Jesus said, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Same principle as we were just looking at as a teacher, but part of what the Holy Spirit is doing, he's revealing, he's searching out, so that it can dug up all the things of God that he wants us to know. Again, in 1 Corinthians 12, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I don't even know how to put this into words. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. The heart of God is the adoration of the Son. The heart of God is to know truth. All things that are truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, there will come a time when you will worship in spirit and in truth. These are the things that God is revealing to us. The truth that is in his heart. The truth that he loves us so much that a sacrifice is made that can't be measured or compared to anything else because there's nothing else that matches what God has done. The depth of the heart of God, how much he loves us, how much he's willing to give for us, all these things are revealed by the Holy Spirit. The precious gift that God has given to work in our heart, to make us realize and understand where his heart is, caring for the orphan and the widow, the downtrodden, 
taking care of those who are less fortunate, caring for those who are hurting, sharing grief with those who are grieving, rejoicing with those who rejoice. All these things are the heart of God, and all these things are ours because we now have the heart of God because we have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is part of God. Let's start booking a little faster. Another important part of, of the Holy Spirit. Now, through these things now, this, this should be kind of a progression of thought, I hope. Because the next thing is the Holy Spirit leads worship. It is the Holy Spirit that leads worship. In Philippians, Paul writes, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We worship by the Spirit of God. So one of the things that I want to kind of talk about a little bit, I want to talk about worship a little, a lot of it, but um, just as a reminder, if you didn't hear the announcement, Steve Price is coming next weekend for a conference. He's going to talk about worship. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know, you know, I try, and, and as I grow and mature in Christ, I really try and be more... <laughs> I don't want to use the word tolerant, you know, because it sounds like, you know, who am I to be tolerant? And I, it works more the other way around, I think, more, more often than not. But it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, actually, it is funny. I know, I know, I'm not clueless, but this, this, this worship leader concept that's going on in the church today drives me nuts. I don't have a problem with, with, with the role and the work, and we do music here. The Holy Spirit alone leads worship. Holy Spirit alone leads worship. Uh, I'll sometimes people say, what do you do at your church? I say, I'm the music director or something like that, just because I'm a facilitator who organizes. But it is the Holy Spirit who is leading worship. At 9.15, it is the Holy Spirit, Spirit Holy Spirit, who is working. Um, maybe that tongue thing is true. No. The, the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading men's hearts and women's hearts as we worship together. When you spend time alone with God, and you worship him, and I pray and hope that you do. And if you're not, please do so. I know I need to do more myself. I always feel like, oh man, where's my time today? Just spending time alone with God worshiping, you are led by the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? All the things we've just been looking at. All the things he's teaching us. All the things that he's revealing to us. All those things that come from the Holy Spirit. Now come back up through the heart and go back up to God through worship. You don't have those things to bring to God to worship the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed them to you first. If he hasn't taught you those things, if he hasn't revealed these things to us of who God is, the magnificence of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, we don't know these things and we don't understand them to whatever degree we can without the Holy Spirit. So now in turn, when we bow our head before God and we say, God, you are amazing, that's coming from the Holy Spirit. I cannot worship God truly, accurately, and adequately in my flesh. I can see God. People see God in their flesh all the time. He is prevalent. We can see him. But true worship comes from knowing who he is. And that only comes from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. A.P. Gibbs said, The mission and delight of the Holy Spirit is to occupy the believer with Christ and to draw from the Christian's heart worship to the Father and Son. Again, Jesus said, there will come a time when you will worship in spirit and in truth. And that time is now. We have the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We have the truth and understanding of what God has done. We have the truth and understanding of God's plan for us in redemption. 
And we come in spirit, not our flesh. These things are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so amazing when men start standing up around at 9.15 and sharing different verses that all have the same theme. That doesn't happen in our flesh. That's the spirit leading. That's why we, you know, we encourage to try and stay with that. It, it's not a law. It's not a rule. We're, we're not Pharisees about this kind of thing. But, but if a theme starts happening, you know, you've got three guys standing up talking about grace. Stay with grace. Let's keep, the, let's keep the, the heart of the unity, right? So we have our individual worship that we do, just ourselves with God. But when we meet, before we break bread and we spend time in worship, we're doing it corporately so we all are working together. And the Holy Spirit is working among all of us to bring us together in one big body and worship up to Christ. We're not a bunch of little silos doing our own thing for 45 minutes. you got 23 days and 21 hours to do that all week long. When we come together, it's a time to, to worship based on what's happening. With God's, God's telling me something and I stand up and share it. Take that leading. Go with it. Even if you have a different thought, pull it together. Let's stay unified in our worship. Because that's the time that he wants us to do that. Um, I'm going to skip a couple slides. Important thing that I want to point out um, is actually the Holy Spirit who selects church leadership. We don't have a vote and an election and the most popular guy wins. We don't do a job search and take in resumes and say, well, this guy went to a great seminary. Let's hire him. In Acts 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. The eldership here didn't do it because we wanted to. This is the Holy Spirit moving. And what you have done is you have recognized that. That's all the church has done, is recognize what the Holy Spirit has done. Same thing with deacons. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Men who are full of the Holy Spirit, men who are intricately related and submissive to the Holy Spirit. This is who God is putting in church leadership. Keep that in mind, especially when you criticize us, even if you're right. All right. Unifies the body. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is not unity in this church without the Holy Spirit. We are far too different. It's not going to happen. It's not possible to have this many people working together without the Holy Spirit and having unity. In Ephesians 4, I'm going to read this very quickly. My time has passed. But I did want to point this out when it talks to unity. Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Okay? We need to strive and endeavor for unity in this body. Because it is so easy for division to come in. And if it does, it means we're not humbling ourselves, which can only happen through the Holy Spirit. The only way our flesh is going to get put down 
And the unity of the Spirit is going to happen is through humility. But it is the Spirit that wants to bring unity to the body. But we still have to humble ourselves. Lastly, the Holy Spirit is a source of joy. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Joy, from a godly perspective, is something that is above circumstances. It's above situation. It's above trials and illness and hardship and heartbreak. It's the joy of the Spirit. And it's the only thing that we can have, and the only way we can have it is by and through the Holy Spirit. As Paul says here, you receive the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, rolling all the way back now to the gift and the teacher and the helper and the revealer, joy is the end goal while we're here on the earth. Joy through all things. That comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a joy that overcomes everything and anything. And that kind of joy can only come from God himself. The work of the Holy Spirit is a presentation, demonstration, and application of God's love. I want us to take that away from this. There's so much more we could study. We could go on and on and on. This could be a six-month study if we wanted to. But keep this in mind. All that the Holy Spirit does, all that the Holy Spirit is doing, is an application in our lives the furtherance of God's love. God's love was so great that he gave his only son. But that love and the demonstration of that love continues on in our lives after that recognition of God's free gift of grace with the Holy Spirit. So I hope we can cherish that. I hope we can appreciate that. I hope that we can I don't want to say use it, but allow it. Allow it to do what it's trying to do in our lives. Be aware of it. Accept it. It's a precious gift. God has not left us to struggle in this life waiting as those without hope. We have a hope. and God wants us to keep it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all your gifts. And Father, we begin with the gift of your Son, given that those who may believe can have eternal life. So we thank you for the seal of the Holy Spirit that marks us before you as one who is yours. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and his constant, unending intercession on our behalf that we would not lose sight of what it is to have a relationship with you, to keep us from being burdened down and encumbered by the things of this world, knowing that there's a kingdom awaiting us. So Lord, help us to listen and to learn and be humble before you that the Holy Spirit may teach us all things that you have for us to know. And Father, we thank you for joy. We thank you that there is something that can't be described There's something that can't be 
overcome or overwhelmed because it is greater than all things. So we thank you for that which you have brought to us through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have corporate prayer for about 10